So what we want to do tonight is uh, just basically do like a review of hermeneutics. So we're going to approach it from the standpoint of just doing a, a one uh, lesson overview on, on how to study the Bible, including some principles of hermeneutics. So that's what we're going to do. First, we want to talk about the foundations of study. And if, if you want to see that better, you can turn the light out um, in the back. And if not, that's okay. Um, so the foundations. What are the things we need to do before we actually um, study Scripture? And, and in fact, why do we study Scripture? So the first thing I want to highlight is really just the qualities of Holy Scripture. Now, each one of these could be a, a sermon on its own. So we're not going to go into detail here. But, but these are the things, these qualities are why we study Scripture, why we trust Scripture. First, the, the, the Bible is inspired. That is, the Bible is breathed out by God. It's, it's written by man, but it doesn't originate from man. It originates from God. It comes from the mind of God. The Bible is inerrant. That is, it's free from all error and all that it affirms. There's not a mistake anywhere in, in the Bible. So we can trust it with our, with our very lives. And the Bible is infallible. That is, the Bible is unfailing in its purpose. It will achieve the purpose that God in, intends it uh, to produce. Uh, God's word will not go out and it won't return void is another way to, to think about that. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible contains all needed information for Christian living. Now, there's many times where we want it to, to say more than it does, but we affirm that it says all that we truly need. Uh, the, the, the God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we, we affirm that. The Bible is authoritative. That is, the Bible carries the right to prescribe beliefs and actions. And as such, we are called to be submissive to the scriptures. And uh, lastly, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but the last one is uh, perspicuous. So that is, the Bible is clear. Its meaning is understandable to all believers. This is one of the, one of the key tenets, really, of, of the Reformation. The fact that a plowboy could understand the scriptures. You didn't have to be part of the learned class, part of the scholarly class in order to understand the scriptures. So these are the reasons that we study the scriptures. Um, and I'll be glad to put this uh, PowerPoint on with the, with the lesson as well. So feel free. I, I, will, I will do that so you've got that there. Um, let me, let me back up and just say, I got a note here I want to go back over. The, the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture um, means that the Bible is clear in its essential matters and able to expose to man that which is comprehensible to him about God, his nature, his character, his dealings with mankind in the past, and his plans for the future. The Bible is clear in all that is necessary for man to know in regard to his sinful state his need for salvation, and the means of attaining that salvation, faith in Christ. So it, it, it's clear in everything that we absolutely need to know to, to understand salvation, understand who God is, who we are, how we're to walk with Him. There are matters in the Scriptures which are difficult to discern. So we're not this, this doctrine doesn't mean that everything is easy to discern. What it's saying is that everybody can understand it who needs to understand it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. You are able to understand all that you need to understand. And then some of those things, they don't, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to use the principles that we're going to talk about tonight to understand these things. 
but the, the scriptures are clear right? because in, in the past, uh, there have been those that said only, only the enlightened can understand the scriptures and we reject that, right? What we say is the regenerate are the ones who can understand scripture and it doesn't matter whether you're have been to college, been to high school, or whether you're a child, you can understand many of the things the scripture has for us in the scriptures. So that's an important doctrine. So why should you take time to study the Bible? I just list, uh, this is, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some, some that we need to consider. First of all, to know your God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Uh, secondly, to know yourself. Hebrew 4, 12 uh, through 13. Uh, I got a typo there, but it's Hebrews 4, Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account, or have to, an account to give. Thirdly, to know your Savior, uh, John 20, verses 30 to 31. Therefore, many of the signs Jesus also did in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then add to that 2 Timothy 3, uh, 14 and 15. But you... Continue in the things you have learned to become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Continuing on this, why should you take time to study the Bible so that we'll know how to live? Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of Yahweh is pure. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. And Psalm 119, verse 130, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. That's a beautiful reference. So, you know, it says it's using the imagery of like, like something unfolding. It's the unfolding of your words. So as we dig into the word of God and as we understand it, as it opens up to us, we're given more light that helps us understand God's word better and gives understanding to the simple. We don't know how to live and we need God's word to instruct us how to live. Second Peter 1.19 And we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And then we study to grow spiritually. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So it's through the word of God that we are sanctified and, and that requires study. So some of that sanctification happens through preaching, uh, but that so much happens by you meditate on the word of God and, and we have the word of God in so readily available. It, that we would really be um, uh, ashamed of ourselves if we don't uh, study the Word of God to, to grow. Um, even, even today, in some places of the world, you can't own a copy of the Bible legally. So many of the Muslim countries in North Korea, 
And if a Christian uh, from one of those countries saw how little people here value the word and read the word, they would shame us. Right? And so I just say that to say that we must value the word of God because it is, it is God's uh, tool of sanctification in our lives. So we don't want that tool to be like, you know, many of the t- tools in our garden are shed that don't get used and they just get rusty. I mean, that, that's not at all what God wants. First Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babes, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. What a great imagery. You see a newborn and newborn cries to be fed. I mean, that's and it's just it's just unceasing. You know, they they get fed for a little while and then they want more. So it's the idea is that that craving and it, and it's the craving that that's not going to last all that long, right? Newborns you don't feed just three times a day, do you? It's it's more frequently than that. So I don't want to push the analogy too far, but that that's the imagery that Scripture uses to call us to want to yearn after the Word of God, that it would feed our souls, and then. We study the word of God to be obedient to Jesus. In Matthew 28, 20, this is part of the, part of the Great Commission. Jesus commands his disciples, part of the making, making disciples, to be teaching them to keep all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's, a, there's the idea of disciple making is you evangelize them. That's the baptizing. And then it's um, teaching them all that I commanded you so that they might obey, they might observe, they might keep what Jesus has said. So there's a there's an end game in that. It's not just so you would have more information in your head, it's so that you would obey, you and I would obey. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know the imagery there, though. The person who just hears but doesn't found doesn't actually do it founds their house on sand, and that when that storm comes, like the one coming, and the hurricane hitting Florida right now, you know any kind of structure that's on sand, that and that water starts brushing up, pushing up against it, that structure is going to fail. So that's the imagery that Jesus uses there, and we our lives need to be grounded on 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 the Word. Obviously, Christ as the living Word but on the written word to do what Jesus says to do. And Jesus says, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Jesus says elsewhere, like, how, how dare you call me Lord, Lord, and yet do not do what I tell you to do. So it's, it's, these, are, these are serious reasons to be studying the word of God. So these, these are the reasons, the motivations to be studying the word of God. So what should you aim for when you study the Bible? So he, these, are, these are four key goals. Number one, to worship God. You ever think about that? The Bible study is an act of worship. It's not just a scholastic endeavor. It's not something you just want to, you just got to do. Like sometimes we can approach our Bible reading that way. Well, I know as a Christian, I need to read my Bible. And, and you're just reading it because that you know you're supposed to. And it's good that you're doing it because you know you're supposed to. So I'm not, not telling you to stop. What I'm telling you is to think about it as an act of worship. It's as much of an act of worship as, as when we gather together uh, here on a Wednesday or on a Sunday. It is an act of worship to your Lord and to your God. You, you show him your love for him when you seek after his word and nourish, nourish from his word. Secondly, to seek to understand what the Bible means by what it says. Like if you just read the word of God, 
and you're not thinking about what it means, you're not going to be helped all that much. Now, keep in mind, there's, there's different kinds of Bible reading. There's a, there's a Bible reading that moves rather quickly to get the bigger picture. So like when you're reading through the Bible in a year, that's that kind of reading. You're, you don't have time to, to slow down and look at the nuts and bolts and, and dig into it. You're looking for the bigger picture. But even in that, you look for the bigger picture, see the, the themes and, uh, that, that God has put there, the, the biblical theology from, through one, from one book to another book. But then there's a kind of other kind of reading where you need to, to dig, you slow down, and then you look at the intricate details of a passage. So that's more along, that's more of the type of Bible study that I'm talking about tonight, is one where you slow down and look at a specific passage and, and dig into that. Uh, John MacArthur said, the meaning of the scripture is the scripture. Right? Simple but profound. The meaning of the scripture is the scripture. So if you don't understand it, you haven't really read it. Now, I know there's something always to learn in the Bible, but it's profound. It won't have its effect in your life unless you understand what God says by, uh, by you know, what he means by what he says. Um, fourthly, seek to pass along to others what you're learning. So think about it this way. It doesn't matter what station in life you are. Uh, young or old, whether you're a mature Christian or a baby Christian, God wants you to be a conduit, a blessing to others. He doesn't want you to be a dead end. So think about your Bible study. There's always somebody that maybe you're not teaching them, but you can discuss things with them. You can you can ask them what they're what they're learning in their Bible study, and you can share with them what you're learning in from studying the Word of God. So. That really helps you learn it better, but it also allows you to be a conduit and a blessing to somebody else. So these are some of the, the kind of the end goals of why you study the Bible, what you're going to aim for in studying the Bible. So now we want to talk about how to understand what the Bible means by what it says. How do we get at that? Well, here's, here's an overview, and I tried to just boil it down to get it all in one one, one screen that we could just kind of go through. So like each one of these, there's a lot of detail on it. But tonight, I just wanted to give you an overview and uh, to, to remind you or a fresher on these things. First of all, pray. Ask God for help. Uh, it's easy for us to jump right in uh, to reading the Bible or studying the Bible without asking our Lord for help. He is the author of the scriptures. And if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. So he is there in, in your life to help you understand the word of God. So you pray. And, and it, I list it first because it's first priority, but it's something you do throughout the process. You're reading something and you don't understand. Yes, there's study tools. There's other things we're going to go to. But pray and ask for the Lord's help to understand. Uh, secondly, read the text. Read it and reread it and reread it and read it in a trustworthy translation. Sometimes it's helpful to read it in multiple translations, but just get familiar with the text. Read it and reread it and reread it. So uh, at one point, uh, John MacArthur, uh, somebody asked him how he like memorizes scripture, how he goes through scripture and understands scripture. And, and, and for many years of his life, he said he just read the same passage for a month at a time. So like it would be First John. He was reading that over and over and over and over so that, that he could have that whole book in his head. He knew 
the, the breaks and divisions with it. So that that's the idea. It's I'm not saying that's the only way, but that's the, that's the method that he used to try to, to get the Word of God more into his head. But as you're studying the Bible, it's really easy to kind of skip over that. You skip over that, you jump to a sermon, you jump to a commentary, and you see what they say. So just emphasize it's the Word of God. And even in my own studies and preaching, that's the most important part of what I do. Um, there's a lot of the things I do, but that's the most important part. Become familiar with the text. Know the text well. Thirdly, make big picture observations. And I, I kind of added this one in uh, based on, I guess, the years I've been studying and particularly preaching and looking at it, that sometimes you can dive in and you can start looking at all the details on the tree without noticing where that tree is situated in the garden. So as you're reading the text, look at the, the big picture. Big picture is like ask questions about everything. Look, look for the theme or central idea. Who is it written by? Who is it written to? You just, you just want to ask questions. So, you know, even why? You know, why is this here? Why, why you know, and then ask the question, so what? Once you, under, once you see this, why, why is this here? How does God want us uh, what does he want us to do with this? You're just, but again, you're just here. You're just looking for the big idea. And also, if you're dealing with like a paragraph, then then you want to try and trace the, the author's argument. Or if it's a, it's a narrative, like it's a story, you want to trace, pay attention with how that narrative is developed. Usually there's going to be a problem and then there's going to be a solution and then there's going to be a remedy. And, and at the end, it all works out to glorify God. But, but there are those movements within a narrative that you want to pay attention and look for. Um, in poetry, looking for where are, the, where are, are the, the breaks? Like where do you have parallelism with poetry? Or is it um, opposite? We, we've seen some of that even last week in, in Psalm 1, and we'll be in Psalm 2 this coming Sunday, and we'll see that more of that uh, this Sunday. So you're looking for the kind of the big picture. What is what is the author? When I say the author, I mean two things: the human author and the Holy Spirit. So both of them are involved. The Holy Spirit didn't override the authors of Scripture to dictate. So he used their personalities, their understanding of language, to write what he wanted them to write. And so we we look at those things to try to understand that. But we're trying to get at that. What what did he how how I guess a better way to say it, how did God write that message? And you want to look at that kind of the bigger, bigger arguments, particularly if you've got a paragraph. And you know, the paragraphs in Scripture are sometimes subjective that are in your um, English Bible, but they're helpful, they're, but they're not inspired. So sometimes the verse before it or the verse after makes more sense to include it in the paragraph. So but you start with the paragraphs in your English Bible, and that generally a paragraph should be like a, a one thought or one unit. And yes, if you're dealing with a, with Paul, he might get sidetracked. He might add a parenthetical comment somewhere in there. But but generally uh, speaking, it's it's one point, one argument that he's trying to make with that. Um, four diagram the passage, and we don't teach sentence diagramming anymore in classes, but if you understand how to do that, that can be very, very helpful on the sentence level. If you're dealing with something that's more than a, than a sentence, 
then I have found that, that using a block diagram, I don't have time to go in and, and show you how to do that, but block diagramming is basically looking at the logical flow of the passage and then, and then just taking it and lining it up um, where, where it flows. And, and you're looking at the prepositions, you're looking at contrast, you're looking at who's speaking. And, and when I get done, I have it on paper, visually I can see, okay, that's a unit of thought and here's a unit of thought and here's a unit of thought. And as I study later on, I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably will change that slightly, but it really helps my thinking. And particularly in Psalm 2, as I'm getting ready to do that, it's very obvious in Psalm, Psalm 2, there are four different groups, four different speakers in, in that psalm. So, um, you know, that, that gives you a little preview for Sunday. But um, again, this isn't a requirement. I've just found it helpful to understanding the passage and what's going on, particularly if you're going to be teaching it at a Bible, uh, Bible study or um, level. And e even for your own personal growth, just kind of understand it, not, not studying to teach, but just studying it to really um, understand the passage better. Uh, fifthly, identify grammar and syntax. So um, here, know the verb tenses, note those, like look at them, are they, are they past tense, are they future tense, or present, or present continuous, or, you know, look, look at those, because all that makes a difference. God inspired every last bit of that. And yes, you're dealing with an English translation, so if you if you had language skills to look at the Hebrew or the Greek, you, there's a slight advantage to that. But the Bible, your English Bible is trustworthy and reliable. And just paying attention to the English tense, tenses will, will teach you a lot about what is being said um, in that passage. Note the relationship. So syntax is just talking about the relationships between, between words, between phrases and sentences, paragraphs. Um, you know, so you're looking at the the for or the therefore, you know, like we talked about uh, when we went through this before, I've mentioned it, where you see the word therefore, ask why it's therefore. It's connecting with, with something that just, just came in the, in the paragraph earlier than that. So you're looking at all the, the grammar and, and, and the syntax. What's interesting um, is sometimes you can notice by paying attention that the word order is slightly different than it normally would be. So some of some of this is lost when they translate it, but there. But even in English, we the normal sentence is you know John hit the ball. So if it's different than that, there's a reason why it's different. The author is emphasizing something, right? And that's why um, you know in Star Wars when Yoda speaks the way he does, he he changes certain word order. He's emphasizing something different. It sounds cute to us, but but languages actually work that way. So that by changing word order, you could just emphasize, bring emphasis to a different part of that sentence. So you're, you're looking for those things. Um, because when, when, the, when the authors do that, they don't do it by accident. They do it to bring emphasis to that. And therefore, that's what the Holy Spirit's bringing emphasis to. So that, that's why it's important to look for that. And number six, identify form, uh, forms and words. Now, when I say form, like what literary form is used? So is it is it history? Is it narrative? Is it poetry? Is it prophecy? So our, our hermeneutic doesn't change, but it's important to understand the the, the setting or that that form, what literary form that that particular text is taking, so that we can apply the right tools to that particular text. Also, idioms. Look for idioms or metaphors. 
that are used. So um, metaphor is just a, a word picture, right? So you're looking at what those that are used. Uh, seventh, uh, I should say it on, on six, you're looking at words as well. You don't, you're not going to probably have time to do a word study on every single word. So, you, you know, looking at, looking at from, from your reading of the text, from your making big picture observations, from diagramming the passage, um, looking at the grammar and the syntax, you kind of have a feel for what might be keywords. They're, they're, sometimes the keyword is a, is a word that's repeated or a word that starts the paragraph and that same word ends the paragraph. So sometimes you, you look for those things and then you're going to go study those words. And lots of times when you're reading, you're on reading, it'll, you'll, it'll help you know where you need to go through the word study at. Because you'll be reading, you're like, well, I don't really understand that word. So that then you just, then you look it up. Uh, seventh, examine context. So, you know, what are the three keys in, 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 um, in selling or real estate? Location, location, location. So I'll just say that to say the three keys um, to borrow that, I'm exaggerating slightly. The three keys to, to proper Bible interpretation is context, 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 right? There's more to it, so I'm oversimplifying. But I'm doing that to try to emphasize, right? So you've got, you've got the context of the immediate passage, um, but then you have the context of that particular chapter. Then you've got the context of the particular book. Then you've got the context of the New Testament. You got the context of the of uh, the Old Testament, of the whole scriptures together. So you won't have time to dig into all the details, but it's something to pay attention to as to use discernment on which one might be more profitable to study. And then you've got the things like not only the context of scripture, but also you've got the cultural, historical uh, context, the geographical things within the within the passage, uh, political things, economic things that are that were unique to that time in, in history. Um, so things that I mentioned before, like why do the scriptures always say that, that people are going up to Jerusalem? Hmm? It's because Jerusalem was high in elevation, and no matter what direction you're coming from, you're going up to Jerusalem. Um, because of Mount Zion. Now it's, for those that have been there, they would say it's more like a hill, but scripture calls it a Mount Zion. Right? So it's a small mountain. But nonetheless, you go up to Jerusalem from, from um, around it. So there's things like that that you're, that you're looking for to try to, to understand. Um, eighth, um, interpret and solve problems. So here's where you're digging down a bit further and you're trying to understand what, what interpretation uh, is the correct interpretation. So uh, there could be... Uh, passage of scripture, a sentence, or a word, and you're trying to wrestle with what, what, what does God mean by that? Like, the, like, for example, Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? So you can understand all the words, but now you've got to wrestle with what, is it, what does he mean by that? And there's various views. So you, you just kind of, kind of write out what makes sense to you. We're going to check that later, but you write out what makes sense to you and, and, and think through that. What, what could that mean? Uh, the next step is check commentary. So check to see if you missed anything. So that's a simple way of saying you use the scholars, the, the people that God has given that understand the word of God. They've spent 30 years, for example, some of these people spend 30 years of their life studying the book of John and then they write a commentary. That's 30 years of knowledge, right? 
that you get to tap into by reading it. Now, what you don't want to do, you don't want to short circuit it and just jump there. Now, okay, if you got a if you got a pressing question and you want to know something, fine. Feel free to open up a commentary. What I'm just encouraging you to do is is not is not short circuit the process because it's through this process of wrestling with the text, a lot of that the Lord will, will work use to work in your life to help you grow spiritually. So there's uh, there's a, just a lot of richness that flows out of Bible study itself. So you'll miss that if you if you if you're only going to to check commentaries. And another problem with checking commentaries is if you own one, more than one commentary or at least you have access to more than one commentary, you realize, well, this guy says this, and this guy says that. What's right? Right? Well, we'll, we'll just trust John MacArthur, because he always gets it right, right? <laughs> no, that's not what we're supposed to do. Not at all. You, you, you wrestle with it, and, and you pray. Right? So you, you, um, there's one gentleman that I knew in the past that was just so frustrated, because he's like, well, John MacArthur says this about end time. And R.C. Sproul says this about end times. And they're both godly men. And how am I supposed to figure it out if those two guys can't agree on it? And he was just constantly frustrated. I was just trying to tell him that, that you have to read it for yourself. Ask God to help you understand the word of God and wrestle with it yourself. And you will come to a conviction. God will not leave you without conviction of that. He will. Right? But you have to understand that not everybody, even godly men who come to the scriptures, come with the same hermeneutics, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Right? So there's a reason why they end up in a different place. And a lot of times it's because their hermeneutics are different. So if you tell me, if I, if I don't even know somebody and I just ask them certain key questions about their hermeneutics, and we'll get into what that means in just a moment, but, but I can tell you from that one question on their hermeneutics, Right, where they're going to land on their eschatology. That's how that's that's how strong the tie is between hermeneutics and uh, and the interpretation of scripture. So John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul's hermeneutics were not the same, even though they agreed on a lot of different things. In the end, their hermeneutic was not the same in in certain passages of scripture, and that's why they're different. So you so you wrestle with that. All right, let's get into hermeneutics. Well, let me just back up. It's a lot of information. So let me just pause for, see if anybody has any questions. There's anything here. Yeah, Hakum. Yeah, well, I had a question from earlier, but it's still kind of goes along. Okay, that's legitimate. Is it right to tell a lost person that you can study the scriptures and understand it? Well, I would not discourage an unbeliever from studying the scripture because it's because there's lots of unbelievers who began reading the scripture, and guess what happened while they were reading it? The Holy Spirit fell upon them and opened their eyes to to see the scriptures. Correct. It shows, correct. At the same time, I want to say that, that the Bible says that the unspiritual man, that is the unconverted man, cannot understand the things of God. And that, that was me uh, before I was saved. So I read, read the scriptures, and I came away really frustrated by them. I, and I, I didn't realize until later that it's because I, I really wasn't understanding them. 
So, you know, if they read it and they don't understand it, somebody, you know, you, you ask an unbeliever to read the Gospel of John, they read it and they say, oh, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, you could tell them why. It's because they don't have the Spirit of God living within them. But I, I wouldn't tell somebody that, that, you know, I wouldn't discourage them from reading the Word of God, which isn't exactly your question, but. Okay. Any other questions? Doesn't have to be from this slide, but. Okay, let's move on to hermeneutics. So the big word hermeneutics uh, is a study of, gen of the general principles of Bible, of biblical interpretation. That's from uh, Britannica. Um, another definition is hermeneutics is the study of the principles and methods of interpreting the text of the Bible. And that's the website Got Questions. And then from my um, beloved Dr. James Roscup, who is now in heaven, but he taught me hermeneutics and Bible study and prayer and seminary. He calls it simply the art and science of interpreting the scripture. And I think those two, it's a, it's a good, simple way to put it. It's, it's not just a science. There is the science. The science part is like the grammar and the syntax and, and, and how the words are, are flowing together. You're looking at it. It's black and white. That's a science. Language is a science. But then there's also an art because there's, it's you learning how to apply hermeneutical principles, hermeneutical tools, in, in a way where you, where you draw out the correct meaning. So it's, there's an art to it. And, and uh, what I mean, I guess a good analogy would be if you had a, a master craftsman carpenter, right? So you can have all the same tools he has, <coughs> but are you gonna produce the same work that he produces if you're just a hobbyist? No way. Why? Because he's skilled, he's, he's, he knows how to use all the various tools in his toolbox correctly. And so you'll, you'll become more familiar, you become more skilled the more that you use the, these tools. That's why we, we call it an art and a science. So the principles of hermeneutics. So these are just uh, some core, core principles. I won't say that it's an exhaustive list, but, but it, um, these are the ones that are the, the key ones to keep in mind when you're, when you're digging in and trying to interpret a passage of Scripture. And we've already talked about some of this. The principle of context, the near context, the wide context. Um, some call this the analogy of, of the faith principle. Um, uh, whether you're dealing with the context of the New Testament or the Old Testament, the context of the book of Scripture, you know, what is the theme or the emphasis or the use of a word in the book under study. So, for example, Paul might use a specific word in a different way than James does. Right? Can, you th can you think of what, what that word might be? Justifying, right? So Paul's going to talk about that we're justified apart from works. Right? Where James is going to say you can't be saved unless you have works. And he's going to use the same, he's going to use the same word justified. Same word but they're using it in two different, two different ways and two different meanings. So it's, it's understanding how the, how the two are using it, understanding the theme and the flow of the book will help you get there. Then there's the principle of word study. That is, you're, you're digging into the, to the roots, uh, the, the meaning of the roots of the words. You're studying words comparatively. Uh, one word may have different usages. You're looking up context to see which meaning is best. Uh, it's... If, if you're looking in dictionaries, usually a word has more than one meaning. So you're not just picking like the first meaning on the list. 
right? So you have to look at what makes sense because the context helps determine the actual meaning of that of that word. Uh, like the English word cool. How many meanings does it have? I don't even know, right? It has a lot of different meanings based on what? The context of the word. So, you know, the words of the Bible are, are, the, are the same. The context is going to, the word meaning is determined by the context. Uh, studying words culturally, inquire how a word or concept was understood at the time and in the culture of its biblical setting. So, again, you won't have time to do this for every single word, but, but there's those key words. You, you dig into those particular words. And sometimes when you, you think, oh, that's, that, that word is, is really rich, and you dig and, and you try to find out, and you find, and by the end of your study, by the end of an hour study or something, you find out that you haven't gotten any further than you did with the English translation the first time. So, so you know, word study can be very rewarding, but not every word, you know, gives a, a, a meaning that's like deeper than what um, you can read just simply in English. Then there's a principle of grammar, understanding the verbs. We talked about this some already, the voice, the tense, the person, understanding relationships between words, the phrases, the paragraphs. And, and we talk about principle of grammar. These are things that, that we rely upon to communicate. So you're, we're not inventing these. We're not imposing these upon Scripture. They're what God used to write the text of Scripture with. So you know, if you take a, a simple sentence, your spouse says to you, I love you, how do you know what that means? It's all based on the, the context and the word meaning. Uh, you, under, you understand that. Um, so we're just taking, taking natural principles and functions, laws of language, and applying it to Bible study. There's a principle background. Uh, for example, what were the circumstances at that time uh, for the reader and or writer? Were they under persecution? Was it a time of peace? Uh, geography, where are they? What's going on in that particular period of, of history, for example? And, and uh, geography, is it an arid environment or you know, is it a lush environment? Then you've got customs and manners. How do people live in that time? So, you know, we talk about hospitality and New Testament hospitality. That meant some, uh, something slightly different than it does for us, right? So we're trying to understand what, what that meant. Like, uh, like I did recently in the study on slavery, we went back and studied what was slavery like in New Testament times because it was it, different uh, than the slavery even, even today or U.S. slavery. So trying to keep that in mind, we don't want to take something from the current, our current idea, and impose it back upon Scripture, because that 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 is eisegesis, and we're going to come away with misunderstandings of Scripture. Then there's a principle of historical appropriateness. That is, what would the readers have understood? So we can look at we have all the Scriptures, we have the completed all 66 books, we can see the full thing, but. For example, the Israelites didn't have that. So looking at what they would have understood about the Messiah at their stage in, in, in redemption history, um, we need to keep in mind what's called progressive revelation. Progressive revelation just means that as God reveals his truth, he didn't reveal it all at once. So through history, he progressively revealed more and more and more so that we today have the complete scriptures but obviously the Old Testament prophets didn't understand everything that the New Testament prophets did. There's a principle of Scripture, interpret Scripture, and this is very important. 
So when we're talking about like how do we how do we decide what what a passage means, you let the clear passage of scripture guide you with the ones that are more difficult or the unclear. You want to you want to search how uh, how words are used by a particular author in that particular book or even another book that will help you understand what um, particular difficult passage that you're looking at is um, what it what it means. So verbal, you know, looking at cross-references of a word or a phrase or a conceptual cross-reference, that, that's often more difficult to trace, but very important. Um, parallel cross-references, uh, conversion of Saul. So, you know, where, where Saul's conversion account appears in multiple places, and you're studying that, look at those. And why is one different than another? What's the emphasis? Um, in part, it's why, like, when you're studying the life of Jesus, you've got four Gospels. So you've got four accounts of many events of Jesus' life um, to look at. And then there's the principle of what we call the analogy of faith. That is, there's one uh, unified, consistent, harmonious system of faith in the Bible. Another way to say that is, no portion of Scripture, when rightly interpreted, is going to ever contradict another portion of Scripture. So if you ever come away with an interpretation, you're thinking, gee, that, 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 that contradicts what I read over here. Then either your 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 interpretation of the pat the current passage is wrong, or your interpretation of the other one is wrong, or it could be you just misunderstood the interpretation. But but all that to say is that Scripture is never going to contradict itself because it comes from the mind of God, right? It comes from God, so you can have what are paradoxes in Scripture. There are paradoxes in Scripture, but there are not contradictions. So what I mean by paradox is something like when God tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It makes you sound like you're the one in, in charge of that, right? It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And there he's, he's talking about sanctification. But then, then he says, for God is at work in you. So it's, you know, it's like, who, who brought you to faith? God did but you believed. He gets the glory, ultimately. What I'm saying is there's, there's a paradox. I can't explain to you how God, uh, for example, is totally sovereign, and yet we have a responsibility to believe. Right? So it's a bit of a paradox it's, it's for us. Uh, but we know these things to be true. Um, some other ones here. Principle of checking. So this is just... What we do with, with commentaries, checking with competent scholarly sources. So when you arrive at an interpretation, you want to check it and see, you know, uh, if, you're, if your interpretation lines up with, with a trustworthy scholar. So sometimes you'll come up with like a different meaning. And I can just say that if you actually come up with something new, it's wrong. So because... There's no nothing new under the sun, nothing new in the scriptures. So be, be cautious if you think you're the first one ever to see something in scripture. So it's, you know, it, it, it does happen sometimes when a particular culture loses something, but at the same token, it's, it's um, just be humble and realize you probably uh, haven't seen something new. You're probably just misconstruing something. So, um, you know, to get a, to get a PhD, which is not what I'm studying. But to get a PhD, you have to come up with something new 
you know, some new study. So, and I don't know how there are so many PhDs in the Bible, um, but there are. So they, they're doing different things. Uh, even, even faithfully, I'm not, I don't mean to cast a, cast a stone on that, but just, but really there isn't, it isn't anything new within the Bible. So that's why you check. Um, and really the checking principle, it's not a one-step principle, but should be used in conjunction with other principles. Uh, the principle of oneness. Uh, biblical text has one basic proper meaning or interpretation, not two or three. So you probably have been to a Bible study where you're looking at a particular passage and then whoever's moderating the discussion will say, what does this mean to you? And what does this mean to you? And what does this mean to you? And each person goes around and they share something different, what it means to them. And you realize you might have, there's seven different people, you might have seven different opinions. Well, there's aren't, there aren't seven different interpretations of Scripture. There's only one that's correct. Now, there could be seven different ways to apply that text, but there's only one proper meaning of the Scripture. Now, when we say that, it doesn't rule out the possibility of, of various applications. And also, it doesn't rule out that a New Testament author would would say would would quote something from an Old Testament author, but add to it by by the you know basically inspiration of the Holy Spirit adding to what the Old Testament author said. Now the New Testament author isn't going to change what the Old Testament author said. He's not going to like overrule it at, at what the Old Testament author said. And this is the this is the problem that that I have when people try to spiritualize Israel. Right? So there's lots of, lots of things we need to study very carefully about the New Testament. The New Testament author says a lot about, uh, about Christ and about the kingdom of God. Right? But they're building on what the Old Testament prophets uh, have given us. They're not superseding them or changing the course of, of, of direction with that. Yes? Okay, so on this first one, the biblical text has one basic proper meaning. How is it that hermeneutics take R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur different? Because they're using. Let me just repeat the question for the for those who might listen to it later. So, if if Scripture only has one meaning, how is it that R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur come out with a different meaning, right? And the difference is because they're using different hermeneutics. So one of them is wrong. So one of them is wrong. Correct. We're going to have to wait until we Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. Like, Correct. So the, we, you know, there, there are, there are things that we can agree on, uh, because it's so clear in Scripture. There are other things that are more difficult to wrestle with, and I would say eschatology is one of those. Right? So it's more difficult to wrestle with because God chose not to give us a book like where every detail is laid out. When you study eschatology, you're studying. Ezekiel, you're studying Daniel, you're studying Jeremiah, you're studying Isaiah, you're studying Jesus and the Gospels, you're, you're dealing with what Paul tells us, and you got to deal with Revelation. So it's, there's a lot to, to kind of synthesize and, and bring together. And there's a tendency with, with some to take a, a text of prophecy and, and then, or even um, in the Old Testament, and spiritualize it, saying that like the promise of land to Israel and Israel ruling over the nations. Is that a spiritual promise that 
you know, the, there'll be no physical Israel on earth to, to, to do that. Or will there be, or is that a literal promise where Jesus is going to reign literally over the nations in the future on earth? Right? So th- that comes down to what the hermeneutic of, of what scholars do in the Old Testament. Do they take that as a literal interpretation or they, do they take it as a spiritual interpretation? So it goes back to one's hermeneutics. So that, that explains why we need to be very careful with our hermeneutics. Yeah, Hakum. Or is it just the way? You... Yeah, I mean because like I totally agree with this because there's there yeah. one proper meaning. It's just because two godly men come to different conclusions about text. Right. Doesn't mean that you know, right? Correct. Correct. So sometimes things are are difficult. Uh, Peter said that some of the things Paul wrote were difficult to understand. And so we, we wrestle with these things and we're fallen and we don't have, uh, none of us has a, a perfect grasp of the, of the scriptures. So we, we, we wrestle and we sharpen one another's thinking on this. And, and that's where you saw R.C. Sproul and, and John MacArthur have a very friendly, really deep relationship on, on scripture. And they, they tussled with some of these things. So did they agree on them? No, no they didn't. But Well, I would say... Yeah, like is are they changing their hermeneutic? Like these principles that we're talking about, do they change those? I would say not, not really. Um, it really comes down to the interpretation of like here the principle of clarity. The next one, the clearest, most logical conclusion. So, don't spiritualize a text right, if the plain meaning of the text makes sense. So if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. So, yeah, but then Peter says, um, you're saved through baptism, right? That clear sentence that if you isolate it from the whole Bible, the Catholics are right and we're going to hell. Well, that's where you, that's where you got to look at, that's where you got to look at, take that example where Peter says you're saved by baptism, right? So if you just take that phrase out of the context, Right then, it could it could teach it it would teach that that you have to be baptized to be saved. It, it's not about it's not about faith at all. It's just by baptism. Right. So right. So yeah, but that's but you have to look at you have to look at the context. So with, with all of these, you can take a phrase and yank it out, but you have to look at it in context. What does it mean? And then sometimes you'll read something and say, gee, the, the plain meaning of that seems to contradict something else over here in Scripture. So it, that makes you wrestle with it and say, you know what? There's something else going on here. The plain, the plain first meaning that jumps out at you can't be what he's talking about. Right, or he's talking about a different kind of baptism. He's not talking about he's not talking about water baptism at all. This is a great example. Earlier you were saying of the context of chapter or the context of the Old Testament chapter. Or the context of scripture. Right. That would be where these two men would come 
difference. One would say, oh, the context of the chapter, and one would say, oh, well, maybe it's more the context of Correct. the whole Bible, and they would pull other places of the Bible where they don't have that. Right. Right. And 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 eschatology is is it's a difficult thing. It's not that you can't figure it out, but there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces with it. So it's um, just keep wrestling with it. That's all I can tell you. So, but it, but it does come down to how you interpret a passage. Uh, most usually, it's the Old Testament passages, right? Dealing with promises to Israel and land promises and things like that. Are those spiritualized or those real? I'm gonna put you on hold a minute, Joe, because Charlie had I think his hand up. Go ahead, sir. Just more of a comment. So I don't know if you covered the principle of non-contradiction yet. Yeah. I didn't call it that, but... Okay. So basically, there's also a principle that Scripture can't contradict Scripture. So if you have one passage of Scripture and it clearly contradicts another one, you have to throw it out because that's not the clearest, most logical conclusion. Right. Yeah, that's what I call the analogy of the faith there at the bottom. You you see, different, different guys will call these principles by different names, but they're essentially... Anybody who's faithful, like R.C. Sproul, MacArthur, essentially they're going to be identical. Um, so like on the principle of clarity, if they only had the old Testament, you know, if we only had the old Testament, everybody would be like in the sense of looking for an earthly kingdom yet to come. If all you had was the old Testament. So that there's a literalness and the the whole principle of clarity. And again, I'm, I'm, if, if this were, remember what I said about hermeneutics, it's, it's a science, but what else? It's an art, right? So it, there's a it's, that means learning and wrestling with these things. And yes, we're not all gonna like completely agree on every jot and tittle on the meaning of scripture. But the good news is we can, you know, there's no like on all the foundational principle principles of scripture and of salvation. There's great clarity about it. I mean, we can agree that Christ is coming again. We may not agree on whether there's an earthly kingdom or not, but we can agree on there's a kingdom to come. So keeping the bigger bigger picture in mind, I think, is is helpful. Joe, were you going to ask or say something? Yeah, just like uh, Sproul and MacArthur are just examples. Mm-hmm. You know, the times the Gentiles were fulfilled in Sproul's theology and his interpretation. Yet to be filled in MacArthur's. But all that and is the essentials is where they agree. Original sin of man, Christ, you know, essential doctrines that will bind us together as Christians and as believers. Right. How we go about it is right. So, some of the hermeneutics are going to differ on this next one: the principle of literary mold. So, determining from the context what type of language is employed. Um, you know, I would argue for the necessity of literal interpretation where the context allows, not literal, not letterism or wooden literalism. But there are non-literal interpretations. For example, you have parables, you have allegories, you have similes, metaphors, all those used in Scripture. You've got symbolism. How are you going to interpret symbolism? Prophecy uses a lot of symbolism. You've got typology. You've got prophecy and poetry. So all that is involved. Uh, even in Psalm 2, we talk about that on Sunday. It's, it's poetry, but it's also prophecy. Talk about the Messiah. So... You know, it's, it's, it's wrestling with all these things that I think um, is, is important to us. Try to work on that. So I'm going to stop, stop there. Um, 
this is just a review and, and those guys that that I know we did a uh, a study on dispensationalism we know there's a there's a lot of details you know with any one of these you can go into a lot of detail my goal today was just to try to give you an overview or a refresher on things to be thinking about tools to use um, as you're studying the scriptures um, I won't go through them tonight because of time but on the on the um, the handout that I'll put on the website there's errors to avoid um, there's two pages of kind of errors to avoid things that you can misinterpret. So these flow uh, all come from um, Richard Mayhew's book on how to study the Bible. But I think they're very, very helpful. Um, so as far as recommended resources, the one I just quoted, how, how to study the Bible, Richard Mayhew. Uh, it's in paperback and Kindle formats. How to study the Bible. So if you have a MacArthur study Bible, you have a, a in the front of that, it's going to have an instruction on how to study the Bible. You may have just passed over it wanting to get right to the scriptures. But in the front of the Bible, it, it talks about how to study the Bible. And then there's a, a booklet called Expository Studying by Joel James. It's a free PDF download. It's one I've used with several guys here. I, I think it's very helpful in looking at the scriptures. So the, the link is there. And I'll, again, I'll have it um, um, on the PDF when I uh, put it on the website. So Joel James is a graduate at the Master Seminary. He's pastoring in South Africa. So very, very helpful a little booklet. And if you go to his website, there's some other booklets there that he's put together that are helpful. So just, just a little note. Um, appreciate him making that available. All right, so let me end with this. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for giving us your word and, and ask that you would help us uh, to be uh, diligent, diligent students of your word. Lord God, just take each person and just uh, cause them to, to rightly understand your word and help them to dig deep in your word and to understand things rightly. Lord, what you meant and help us to wrestle seriously with that. I just pray that you would grow us in our understanding and knowledge of Christ and help us to live that out and communicate that to others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.